Hey there, you're listening to Art, Activism, and Adventure. My name is Michaela Demers, and I'm sitting in Hub Coffee in Toronto with Aria Evans. Aria is an artist working in both film and dance. She's the artistic director of The Go-To Company, co-artistic director of Hub 14, and is a videographer and editor for a bunch of different Toronto dance artists. Desiccated is Aria's most recent work, which premiered at the 2015 Summerworks Festival and has toured to Paris, France. Her current project, The R Word, is scheduled to show in the Toronto Fringe Festival and is currently in development. Oh, I was going to ask you another question. I should ask you that. I'm going to ask you it with it running. Okay. Where are you from? I grew up in Victoria, BC. Right. On the island. And I moved to Toronto for university in 2012 and haven't left. Right. And are you associated with the band? No. No? No. Non-status. Right. And so, but you identify as mixed race. Because yeah. when you wrote that to me in your intro, I was like, that's an interesting way to put it. Well, I have, like, I was talking to somebody recently about, like, how we talk about self-identity and... Like cultural backgrounds, and I really like the saying that I want to honor all of my grandmothers. So I'm Mi'kmaq and African Canadian and British. So it's so easier to mix. just yeah, and I mean I'm a, vis- a visible minority, but I always say that I'm mixed race. Right. Because people, when they talk about their cultural background, I was talking mm-hmm. about this with someone the other day. I feel like there's so many like politics around the words that they use to describe totally. themselves. Yeah. So, do you run into people that have problems with that? I... Like, have problems with the way that you choose to describe yourself? In a way, like, I think the most common question I get is, what are you? You look exotic. Mm. What are you? You look Spanish. Like, what are you? You look this way. And I find that question really interesting. Like, what are you? Like, I'm human. Yeah. I'm, I'm a human being. I'm a female. Like... What, what do you mean, who am I? And then it's clear what they're really trying to get to. But, I mean, definitely in the Indigenous community, there's a lot of uh, questions around, like, status, non-status. Um, if you're a Métis, which means that you're, like, half-white, half-native. Um, so I think within that community, there's definitely a lot of, like turmoil around how you identify because it's also about reclaiming what's been lost. I mean, it's taken me a long time to be able to be comfortable identifying as First Nations, mm-hmm. and that's mostly because I didn't grow up on a reserve. I didn't grow up like close to my traditional practices. But that's the like Canadians, the Canadian government's way of suppressing a culture. It's by trying to make you feel like you shouldn't identify as that culture. Right. So for me, it's empowering to be able to say, I am First Nations, I am African Canadian. Like, that community as well has gone through so much to be able to have cultural practices that are still alive today. Right. So. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think, because I always refer to myself as a mutt, which I think a yeah. lot of people probably think is a a bad thing for me to do huh. because I think it has like negative terms in, right. in some people's minds yeah. and their experiences but I am more of a mix than you are yeah. I've got just like a lot of things yeah. going on there and people ask me the same question which like sometimes I'm like well I'm white so why does it matter yeah. Cause, like white you know it's like I'm I've just my family's been here on especially on one side for so long that yeah. it's like it's crazy too so just yeah. Like, I think it is also about the way that you look or the way that people see you. Like, I remember I grew up with my mom, and my mom is British. And when I was younger, people used to come up to her and ask her where she got me from. And she'd be like, really? <laughs> my boom. Like, where do you think I got my daughter from? But and it didn't even cross their mind that, like, oh, she exactly. might have a partner who's not British. Exactly. Wow. So I think the fact that I have darker skin is also why that question gets directed to me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, or it's people right. get more curious and when, people, like, oh, you just look white. Oh, yeah. you, like... And I, I've talked to people who, um, like, they think that what they are conflicts for other people in what right. like, their stereotypical thoughts are. So, right. like, if they're... There's, yeah, their skin tone clearly says one thing, but their yeah. accent doesn't match. Then right. it's just like, well, what's the... Like, why? Like, yeah. what's the story behind that? It's like... I don't understand why people have such a fascination behind it in the it's first place. But. So, 
I don't know anything about the politics either around choosing to be status or non-status mm -hmm. or or communal yeah. sort of repercussions or not behind that. Yeah. The only way to be status is if you live on a reserve and the band on the reserve uh, essentially like deems you a status Indian. Right. Because I know that different bands have different yeah. standards or different yeah. um, things that kind of qualify you. Yeah. So Some nations don't even qualify for status. Right. It's it's all it all dates back to like government um, treaties and land claims. Right. And so is that something that you either like could have done or could do that you you have thought about and you're making a conscious decision not to do it, or is it something that more so has just happened throughout your life and you're you're okay with what's yeah, going on? It's more that I didn't grow up living with my father and my indigenous roots come from his side so I never really had the opportunity to meet that community and his um, his parents moved off of the reserve and started dyeing their skin like bleaching their skin and like straightening their hair every morning claiming that they weren't indigenous at all this is this like systemic passing down of like internal racism where you don't want to be who you are and I feel like I am the first generation that's really proud of my mixed heritage and I think the first step to move past that is to be able to say like sure I didn't live on a reserve sure like I don't have status but I am first nations and I'm proud and like these are all the things that are really special about my abilities as an artist yeah yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's also Aboriginal heritage in my background yeah. way, way back when, but it's one of those things that I've had people ask me about, and a lot of the time it's like different company owners, mm -hmm. whatever, they'll be like, like art, art people, right. they'll be like, oh, are you Aboriginal? Because it's almost like, like it's like it would be, they just see opportunities, they just... Yeah, which is so interesting. Um, another bit of research that I was doing that I can actually remember <laughs> this train of thought was this idea that if you are a minority, you have more opportunities in like certain situations. So like you get more scholarships for school, or you like have right. access to more grant money. Yeah, and that I, is, I feel like that's why they were asking me. And like I, we never yeah. really fully like vocalized it. Yeah, but they, they would figure out like, oh, you're from Manitoulin Island. Like, are you right. original? And I'd be like, like. Yes, like yes. In in my sense, I feel like it is a part of my background. Yeah. Just like even if it's like a little slice yeah. that makes up my super mixed heritage. But like, do you know? Because you can't make money off. Yeah. You can't like. I can't be a reason to apply yeah. for something. But that's like it's just such a backwards thing to think like oh there's more opportunities. It's like no, there are like specific opportunities in place because of the lack of privilege that this group of people has experienced in the last 200 years. Like, Absolutely. But it's so interesting that that misconception is so common. Yeah, and then I come across it as, you know, yeah. someone who doesn't even really, I don't think I resemble Aboriginal people. And so, but it's like it's a stereotype that I even come across yeah. in my experiences. Yeah, but so for you, is that something that you experience in terms of working with people at that level when you're going to become an employee with them or I've never brought it up uh, from an employee level I've definitely like I definitely do apply to the Aboriginal arts funding but I make sure that I only apply when there's a project that I feel um, is supporting that community in some way like if I'm exploring subject matter that I think is like very much relevant to indigenous communities. I will apply for that funding for that project, but I'm very like wary about abusing absolutely that right because. But that's nice then that you've never you've never uh, like never encountered those stereotypes in other ways. I have. I just don't think I've acknowledged them. Like I right. I've just shut down those kind of opportunities or just said like no it's not gonna fly or yeah you just have to set your own boundaries like when when I sense people are trying to use that to their advantage for me that's not what it should be about it should yeah. be about like celebrating a community it should be about healing a community it should be about 
it should be about you as an artist yeah. personally. It's totally. like you want to work with me for me and for yeah. what I have to offer and what my vision is, not yeah. because I'm not original. Totally. I'm gonna smack that face. <laughs> I feel like that happens in so many yeah. pools, like as you know, like as a woman, as like there's totally. so many groups so where it's like, oh, if we get this person on, then yeah. this heterosexual will happen. Or not. Yeah. And it's those assumptions just kill us. But I guess it does, in a way, point out those people that you don't want to work with. And you're like, hey, yeah. here's someone who I don't particularly want to get along with that much. Yeah. So that was one of the things that you had mentioned about talking about was um, that kind of misrepresentation in the arts or lack of representation. Yeah, I just feel like there's very little diversity in in the arts, especially in our Toronto community, like, I even, even going into a class at, like, GMD, I, like, look around and I'm like, okay, like, it's so, like, where are, where's the representation for these other, like, beautiful cultures that exist in our city? And the, like, Canadian stage announcement came out for their season, and I was like, you may be uh, bringing projects that have diverse cast members, but none of your choreographers, none of your directors, none of your writers come from any other ethnic background. And I think that, like, it's 2016, it's Canada, like, we're a multicultural country. We, we need to start supporting artists. Like, do they think that an artist is less than because they have a different cultural background? Is the work not as good? Like, definitely not. Yeah, no, and I think it gets more into a place of, like, who's making those decisions yeah. and then why are they making those decisions? But yeah. I feel like it's also, like, I don't know, my mind just jumps to, like, this group of people that run Canadian Stage, the board that chooses those yeah. pieces, and they choose people that they know, and if that board is like, oh, a bunch of white people running Canadian Stage, and their friends are then for, like, they're yeah. for a bunch of white people directing and doing choreography and writing, and so those are the people who get pulled in. Yeah. But that might be a really big generalization. Who knows? I just think that it's our responsibility in this day and age to, like, reflect the reality of our world. And that's not being reflected within the arts community right now. No. The diversity that, the beautiful diversity that exists. Yeah. So, how do you think that we can change that? I think people need to start having the conversation. Like, it's so hard as an individual artist to feel like you have a voice next to an organization that has a lot of power, that like gets a lot of funding, that has like a huge international profile. But I think that change starts with people talking up about it. And like I think people that aren't that are like Caucasian need to be a part of that conversation because I don't know, I feel like people start to feel like, oh, but opportunities are being taken away from me if I engage in this conversation, but that's why nothing's changing, is that feeling. And it's like, we need to just recognize that like this world is multicultural. The artists that are making work are multicultural. We need to show the diversity. Especially, like I think, the great thing about artists is that we can reflect society and we can challenge people's perceptions of the world and we can like mold people to be more critical thinkers yeah. in an, in a non-threatening way as in through the arts and so if we're we talking need to be a to, part of that conversation yeah if we're talking to artists directly in terms of because I think being a part of the conversation happens through literal conversation yeah, like totally. what we're talking about right now but then also promoting the idea through different forms like in art as yeah. we're talking about so I guess that would be that could be a potential solution that we could put forward in a way that mm-hmm. it's hard to tell people what to make art about but yeah it is hard <laughs> <laughs> and, really I don't think do you, and I don't think you should. No. I just but in think a that way, it needs to be included. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and I just think those stories are out there, and they're being told all the time. Yeah. I saw an amazing show this past week at the Brew Bar Festival. Yeah. 
It's so good, and it. I don't want to say anything because in case anyone goes to see it tonight, not that you'll hear this podcast. It'll be like weeks later. Okay, I can totally <laughs> spoil it. But um, are you gonna go see it? Which Shall I write it? it for you? I think it was called Body Fluorescent. No, I haven't. I might go see it, but you can talk about it. I won't give away the like huge twist in it, but it was just. It was so good on. Playing, I mean, the, the actress was a, a one-person show, which I wow. always think is amazing because yeah. I'm so terrified of solo work. Yeah. And the fact that she was so invested in what she was doing and had absolutely no fear. You could see there was no nervousness in her. And she was playing, she was like, um, I really don't want to say juxtaposing, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> These two characters um, against one another and just like slipping in and out of each character so seamlessly. Yeah. It was really awesome, and it really just showed this like concept of of us being diverse, of, yeah. of people being different layerings of things and the stereotypes we hold to them. And I was just like, you know, like people need to see this show. Like when you watch something like that, yeah. you're like, everyone needs to watch this. But getting something like that elevated to a platform like Canadian Stage, where people could actually see it, is. That's, I guess that's the mission, that's kind of what we're going for, but it's such yeah. a stretch. It, is, it feels like impossible. Because, okay, so this is something that I think about all the time. When you think about like the structures of art, and then when you are trying to like work through those positions, being like, oh, I'm an emerging artist. Yeah. Oh, I'm like mid-career, I guess. And then like one day, maybe they call you a senior artist? Is that what yeah. it is? Well, what's really interesting is you can be an emerging artist in your 50s. Totally. But we have this perception that like young artists are emerging. And yeah, and inexperienced. <laughs> but um, and yeah, and then these these performance venues kind of pair with I feel those those positions. So you don't yeah. see a whole lot of emerging artists on that on those venues that are you know Canadian Stage or even like the Harbor Front Center. Like I feel like they're very. I think it's mostly just like a lack of funding and the pressure to have people come see the show. Like if you, as a organization that programs work, if you program people that are well known that like have a reputation, it's less of a risk mm-hmm. knowing like you know that you'll make a certain amount of money versus like an artist that people don't know that people might not come and see. It's it's more risky. Right. And like the funny thing is art it's all about taking risks and it's yeah, all about yeah, they're playing pushing boundaries but these organizations that have the resources are playing to like are, yeah they're playing this game of like oh if I bring this artist in they have like this huge network of people that already support them but that to me is such bullshit because like you also have different layers like you have people yeah. who have memberships of these theaters yeah. and they are going to go regardless of yeah. what you bring it in because they trust you as a presenter yeah and so and then who's to say that someone young and emerging is not going to pull out more people totally. than established artists like I've been to young emerging shows that are packed because yeah. well this is the only show I'm doing and like it's my first one whatever yeah. right and then I've also seen more experienced artists get out of show and not have anyone waiting for them just yeah. being like gonna go home now yeah because like they haven't they didn't bring anyone no one came out to see them they do shows all the time so I don't know I think that's kind of bullshit and I guess in a way that would be their job in contributing to this conversation yeah which yeah Canadian stage really dropped the ball on that (laughs) this year yeah yeah but yeah I mean it's yeah (laughs) that's where it goes yeah well, so then expanding, because we've been kind of talking about um, your mixed heritage and how that can be either like an empowering or limiting factor as an artist, but something that I think about as well for artists is, is, is the, that label of being an artist, which is kind of what we're talking about too, with like yeah. emerging artists, and I always think it's different than other jobs or career paths in a way because no one deems you an artist. I mean, I guess people try, but, you know, when you become a doctor, someone gives you a piece of paper and it's like, you're a doctor, and you have this, like, certificate to prove it, and you have the education, and you have this role, and you have the letters attached to your name, but I think a lot of the time with art, that's not the way it works. And so, and because I'm a young emerging artist, <laughs> um, it's something that I think about all the time because days will pass where I'll do a lot of work 
on me and on my art and things that I want to do and then there's days that will pass where I won't get to it either yeah. due to like commitment or just life or whatever and there's a there's constant influx of like is this just a is this like just something in the moment am I going through a phase or am I is this something that I'm a part of me yeah. is this like something I'm invested in I've always thought of myself as like a social detective of sorts like when I think about being an artist I think about like researching and like finding where I think well I mean it's different because I feel like my work is very like socially driven I like tackling like social issues I like looking at social stereotypes and I like my goal has always been to show people that like we are all the same no matter what our background is like we're all people we've all had similar experiences and that like art can bring us together as a society because they can see that like the people that they're watching have had similar experiences to them um, so it's different when maybe your work isn't social but I've always felt that like to be an artist is really like I'm just being a detective I'm researching I'm, I'm questioning our society I'm showing people different opinions making them think about their own choices but I feel like it, it doesn't happen 24-7 and like life does take over and like there are gaps and when we're being creative and when we're not being creative. It's a hard, like it's a hard career field to define, especially like we don't really fit into the 9 to 5 kind of swing of things like a doctor like you said will work like X numbers of hours a day and they have a piece of paper saying that they're a doctor but as artists we're kind of drifters mm -hmm. like, is there something that you I mean being a social detective is definitely <laughs> an awesome thing to try to think about is there something that you hold to yourself beyond that or in, in pairing with that that instills this kind of work in you? Um, I think... Something, again, I don't think yeah. I word it really well. I think something that gives you, essentially something that gives you the confidence of saying, I'm an artist, bar none, like, with no hesitation. For me, like, I... At a very young age, like I started dancing when I was really young, and at a very young age, I started questioning the stories that people wanted me to tell in my dance classes, and I thought to myself, like, I want to tell my own stories. I want to, like, I want to open people's minds to, like, a different perspective. So I started making my own work. I just started like choreographing solos on myself. I was like 11 and they were ridiculous. But from, from that stage in life, I, I just kept on wanting to share stories. I felt like I had something, not necessarily something to say, but something to pose to people. Like I always say that my work hints towards larger subject matter and it like it allows people to question themselves and question their place in the world and question the perceptions that they have on certain situations. So to say I'm an artist is really it's it's the fact that like I, I want to keep asking these questions. I want to keep making work that opens people's minds to things. But it's so, like, it's so layered. That's such a layered question. Like, how, how do you define yourself as, how do you say you're an artist? Yeah. Does um, saying it, at the end of the day, like, does saying it mean something? I feel like, because some people stand, words are really powerful, and some people definitely stand behind different words that choose to describe them. So is yeah. something like, like saying, like, work. Yeah. I just, like, I really enjoy researching different people's opinions and like formulating my own opinions on what I've researched and I really love working with other people and like drawing their skills and their like abilities out of them. 
so for me, it's that research, it's that collaboration that sort of fulfills and defines that artist within me. So really backwards, I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. did actually plan this, but just through talking about this kind of stuff, I feel like your artist statement has kind of just like, just kind of came out, like all the stuff that yeah. you've just been saying in the last two minutes really kind of Yeah, I mean, artist statements are weird. They're, it's so, like, especially as dancers, like, it's hard to use words to describe what we do because we're so physically engaged in the work that we create but I think like you just you need to know your values as a person and then it's very clear what you're interested in as an artist and that's different for everyone and it can change like your interests can change I think that like values are kind of intrinsic like they're they're also a part of how we're raised and they're a part of like becoming an adult um, and I think that they stay like a little bit more stable but I think like our interests definitely shift and change yeah. as we get older. That's what I think sometimes I think artist statements are kind of like bad interviews in a way sometimes yeah. where it's like they're all kind of the same but they're all like they all do have these small differences but yeah. in general like I feel like people who are artists believe in art they believe in the yeah. power of art and they all have kind of like then different things that they want to um, tackle or want to yeah. accomplish but often it's it's kind of a wash of very similar imagery and words that go to putting them together yeah yet sometimes I think that they're valued so much you know your artist statement is something that yeah. they tell you to work you on submit it for grants you have to and you, you need to know it you need and and it's, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, maybe that's just, like, it's amped up a little bit too much. Like, if you I do know yourself, a, yeah. then obviously writing it down is very important, but sometimes also writing it down can be hard because then you do feel sometimes, depending on what you're submitting it for, how long it's going to be in existence, that you're kind of also stuck to this yeah, definition that's like your that you've paired to yourself. And yeah. it's like, yeah, your opinion can change on a daily basis. So totally. who knows what you're going to think tomorrow. Yeah, I think, like, it's really just about outlining your values. Like, what you believe in, what kind of work you like creating. And again, like, that can change. But it, yeah, it's always changing. I feel like, like, my artist statement changes based on every project that I make. Like, mm -hmm. it's never the same. I also find that the biggest place you find people's artist statements are on their websites. Yeah. You go on their, like, a dancer and artist yeah. website. Yeah. But especially a dancer, because, a, like, if you go on a visual artist website, you can see their visual art, typically. Yes, totally. You go on a dancer's website, you typically can't really see much, except for maybe a couple of dance shots that they've yeah. taken with a photographer. Yeah. You see a maybe CD, a, a bio, a, an artist statement. Yeah. And this recently has had me been thinking a lot about, um the digital realm and community yeah. of dancers in particular, but of artists in general as well, because I don't yeah. think there's a good um, online dance community for artists at all. Have you no. come across one that I just don't know about? An online dance community that's actually active? Or even art that would be multidisciplinary? No. Okay. <laughs> I Googled it the other day, and it was like, oh, like DeviantArt, and I like, you know, yeah. I've known about DeviantArt since I was in high school, but it's also... There are definitely forums and stuff on it, but it's definitely a place to more showcase work than to have discussions about yes. our world. Which is when I'm thinking about things like like social issues that yeah. we need to tackle. Literal, I feel like literal conversation has got to be a big thing, and that's what the digital realm can be good for. Yeah. Would you be interested in participating in a totally. digital... Make one. I'll be there. Yeah? Yeah. You know what? I don't know how to make it happen. <laughs> But I'll make some phone calls. I'll make some phone calls. On my cellular telephone. And yeah. we're gonna figure it out. Linking all the way back to your introduction, mm -hmm. we talked about how you both do dance work and film work. Yeah. So a big thing that I've also been thinking about a lot lately is how to manage everything. <laughs> yeah. How to manage time in a day, how to manage your finances to make things work, how to manage the things that you need to do versus the passions that you have, the desires of creating things and and 
making it all cohesive into one life. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it is trial and error, and a lot of it is learning to say no. Like, I worked in a cafe all through university, paying my tuition, paying for rent, um, and it was draining. Even as a student, that was draining, but it was good money. And then I graduated, and I just, I knew that I couldn't do that anymore. Like, I was, I was so angry at work with how I was being treated, and I was so tired at the end of the day having done nothing that I couldn't devote any time to my work. So, like, having had a little bit of experience in film, I was like, oh, well, that's, like, an interesting option. What if that's something that I wanted to pursue, like, that you can make better money in film? It's like, this is interesting. So I got a job as a production assistant working for two multimedia companies that were totally unrelated to dance, and I was like, maybe I can be a production assistant. And the same thing happened. It was like... Nine to five, which was really nine to midnight. <laughs> that happens with film. Yeah, yeah, and it was like it was so draining in the same way that serving was. And I came out of I worked for like eight months, and I hadn't done any creative work, and I was just feeling so lost. And I thought like, okay, like where do I go from here? So they wanted me to extend that contract, and I was just like, I can't. I was like. This, these are the parts of the jobs that I'm interested in. I'm interested in editing. I'm interested in filming. Like, hire me to do those, and I'm yours. And they, that was like, to say that to my boss was terrifying. Mm -hmm. But it took me eight months to realize that that's what I needed. And they said yes. They were like, okay, fine. You can work on your own schedule will like let you know what you need to do and we'll make it work and I was like okay perfect and at that time I started working for like other companies doing like very little mini video projects and I started realizing that like those interests aligned with my choreographic interests and I was also like really enjoying that work so I, I feel like I stumbled into something that was more stable more mm -hmm. sustainable and also I was passionate about, but it took a really long time, and it took a lot of, like, ups and downs and being, like, really upset with myself because I wasn't creating work or I wasn't going to class, and now, and it's a lot of work, like, being your own boss is a lot of work, and people don't talk about how hard it is, like, starting your own company is hard, like, as a freelance artist, it's hard, mm -hmm. like, you still have paycheck to paycheck, you still, like, don't know if you're going to get another project when a project's coming to an end, but it, it happens. You just have to, like, I think also as artists, we need to be, we need to be enjoying life. I find my work changes when I'm in a dark place, mm -hmm. which, like, it, it's interesting work, but I don't, I don't like that, <laughs> that downward spirally feeling. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's Some really, people say that, that like, you yeah. know, being upset or emotional or sad produces yeah. good well, you can, art. Yeah, you can still be emotional. Yeah. I think being emotional is great, but I think that, like, being happy should be the first goal. So finding something that you can do that makes you happy, that complements art, works. Like, some, a lot of dancers teach. A lot of dancers do like dance admin jobs, which like I tried and I couldn't do. There's like there are ways that people find to complement the two careers, and I feel like I'm really lucky to have found film because it is really fulfilling and it's very different at the mm -hmm. same time. But like I, yeah, you just have to say no. Because when that contract was amazing, I paid off my student loans in that year. Right. But I hated life. Yeah. And like when I got offered to extend that contract, like. To extend it? Yeah. I like inside, I was like, it's so much money, it's so much money. But in the back of my head, it was like, you're so unhappy. Like, don't do it. And we have to make those sacrifices, I think, if we do want to pursue 
an artistic career path. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just it's about finding like something that makes you happy in a different way than creating work does. Yeah. Yeah, because in a way, I definitely couldn't see myself dancing and choreographing all day, every day. Yeah, no. There's definitely and this big relief to doing... there's not enough doing money to do that. That too, anyway. but I, in a magical world. In a magical world, Where yeah. there is. I still think that the, those other experiences, doing other yeah. things, having other interests, is also something that feeds yeah. art and the creation of it. Yeah. So some, I remember, I was totally... I was totally bitching about this, like, six months ago when I yeah. worked an even shittier job than I do now. And, uh... <laughs> I remember talking about, you know, that, like, that should be the goal of, you know, dancers and artists and that we should be able to do our work nine to five like other people and, you know, that it's, you know, I was just being, I was just being upset because I was, I was angry at my situation as well, but just saying how, you know, one thought that I did have that I thought was good was imagine if artists did work nine to five, what kind of things would be produced? Yeah, it'd be interesting. The amount of art that would be produced and the quality of it. And if I know yeah. if I worked in my practice nine to five, it would probably grow quite a bit. Yeah. But then through further just thinking about it, I definitely started to value those other experiences that I was having. Yeah. Even the ones at the crappy jobs where it's you still learn things mostly about yourself that yeah. then slip into your work and help you to define it. Yeah. Which is also kind of like hits on that researching that you feel like you do. Yeah, or just like observing. Yeah. Yeah. At least for me, like, because I like to make work that's socially relevant, I find that like observing society and observing people, like looking at our day-to-day lives is a part of my work like I feel like in a way I am always working but it's just a curiosity right that I have right and I guess that's the part of me that thinks then that's the artist in you probably because mm-hmm. it's something that other people don't have yeah that other, other people, people aren't interested in or... yeah and it, I'm not saying it as a negative yeah, thing no, like, you know you suck because you're not an artist no. but <laughs> <laughs> they don't go around the world yeah. With, the, with their eyes open, with that yeah. lens of wanting to see things to then, you know, interpret them into a different way, you know? If I yeah. just go to my job as a doctor, I'm going my, I'm doing really good work while I'm at yeah. work, and then I get off work and I take the subway home and I'm, I'm living, you know, with yeah. my family. There's nothing wrong with that life, but there's that... It's different. Yeah, it's definitely different. this, like, perspective thing, yeah. which maybe is one of those underlying traits that that some creative types then hold. Yeah. I have, like, I have conversations with my girlfriend sometimes, and we're just like, I don't, we don't understand people that aren't passionate about something. Right. Like, I find it really hard to, like, engage with people that don't have any kind of interest. People that, like, work their job and then leave it there and then, like, live their life after. Like, right. Like, how... Like, how are you That's the thing. happy? <laughs> when you were talking about your job and yeah. how, like, in the back of mind, you were like, I'm so unhappy. I, don't, I think some people don't have that voice. Right. And so then they, they're, like, I'm wanting to use the word stuck, but they don't feel stuck, so that's yeah. not the right word. But then they're just at this job that they yeah. fell into or just chose to. Yeah. yeah, but they might not ever have necessarily that feeling. Because sometimes I've definitely worked a range of jobs like that, yeah. where I'm like, you've been here for how many years? Like, how... I've been here for two months, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, but they they seem all right. Like, they seem good. Like, content, at least. Even if they're not overly happy, I feel like there's, like, this acceptance. Yeah, Yeah, that they're like, well, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah, it's hard hard to not judge. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. I don't feel sorry for them. Like, it's not, like, you, we're all, we all have the power to do what we want in our life, but... It, de- it definitely catches you off guard when you have aspirations to do yes. things and you're like, man, if only I could do this. Yeah. If only I had, like, the money to do this, I would do it. Yeah. If I could the buy money. time on Canadian stage, I would do it. I would do it. And I would just invite a bunch of friends and we would just parade around naked. Perfect. And everyone would have to watch that. It was interesting, the demographic at the show last night, it was like... 
maybe 20 people around my age, like right. under 35, and then everyone else was like over 65. Okay, this is like, what I'm talking what? about. Because I went there, I've totally already said this on a previous episode, but I went there like last week for a show, yeah. and it was the same thing. It was I'm white like, old people. people. Yeah, I know. And that's what I'm saying, like, those presenters, I don't think they have to worry. Like, yeah. those people are going to keep going They're back to you. Anyways. You but can't use that in as an argument. Like, Going out to the theater, going to see dance, isn't a part of this generation's culture, but it was a part of the older generation's culture. So there's a problem because when all of those people get to the stage where they're not able to go out and see this work anymore, what's like, we need to start making the shift now, or else our entire audience is just going to be depleted. Our, our very small audience is going to be depleted yeah. even more and so, even yeah. And even the dance community, like, dancers are going to see dance, and that's not sustainable. Like, what I really like about multidisciplinary work is that it it's engaging with multiple groups of people, multiple groups of artists. Like, a show has many things that different people can be interested in. So... If somebody is, like, really interested in video and there's, like, a projection element, Mm -hmm. that's what they go to see. Mm -hmm. If there's dance and, like, theater, you get both of those patrons. Like, I feel like the way to engage a new audience is, like, to continue to produce multidisciplinary work, which is sad because then it's, like, it's dance becoming obsolete, which I hope not. But at the same time, like I think we need to make that shift in order There's to right save. It's interesting though because I also see those type of projects happen, and then when they're not like marketed or advertised yeah. clearly, then people are like, "Oh, but like, what is that?" Right. And like when they're unsure, then they don't go because like right. I don't know if that applies to me in my specific form or my specific yeah. interest. And so then yeah. I think it it can it like needs, swing yeah. one way or the other. Like it really Everyone hit it off well. Or marketing. <laughs> Isn't that a service that's offered somewhere? Probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's lots of people that do arts marketing. For cheap? On the cheap? Not so much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but they do it really well. They do. I'm so bad. I could really yeah, use a step in that direction. That's why your priorities like come in. Yeah. Like what am I going to focus on? Yeah. Probably not advertising. No. And that's the thing about art, too, is that when it, it almost breaches that that uh, peak of then being advertised or being marketed, then it's entertainment. Yeah. It's interesting. So complicated. Yeah. I don't... That would be another... I mean, audience expansion is always the thing that people are talking about, yeah. but definitely making it more integral to kind of our current and upcoming generations of yeah. being a thing. But... I guess it's always what film is for. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's... We're such a media-driven generation because we grew up with laptops, we grew up with cell phones, we grew up with iPads. That's not going to go away now. No. (laughs) Just cold turkey, just cut that out. Yeah. But is film, then, for you something that is an extension of your... just your creative voice and being able to shape something for people to see? I think the digital realm and then the physical realm are two very far apart places. I think my like creative interests in dance and film are very different. Like what I like about film is that it can create a permanent moment in time, whereas dance, like every performance is different, every performance is fleeting and the audience sees like the broad picture, but in film you can like direct people's gaze. You sort of have more control over what people see, Mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating. But, like, most of my film work isn't about creating a story. It's about, like, filming to create that permanent moment in time. Whereas, like, my choreography is more of a creative venture. Whereas I feel like film is more of a job. But I think... Like, the possibilities of film are really exciting. Like, you can defy gravity, and you can, like, make the impossible possible. Um, But it's different. Like, I feel like the work that I've done, it's all, like, the 
film work that I've done with my dance performances is complimentary to the dance. It's not its own equal voice. Which is something that I just haven't gotten around to yet. Right. Well, I mean, it, yeah, it takes a while to develop anything. Yeah. Like, even that sense of being an artist or that yeah. sense of having a, a current version of your artistic statement, all these things <laughs> yeah. are, like, something that you need to... That, yeah, in a way, you can't rush. You need some patience for them, which I'm really, yeah. really terrible at. Bad at patience. Yeah. Well, when you want to, you know, you want to make those life-changing... you want to do everything. Yeah, just because it's like, oh, I don't want to work this shit job anymore. I want to make yeah. these life-changing moments where I'm going to yeah. progress. But something's there with time. Yeah. Well, what are you interested in? Me? Yeah. Oh. You see, that's a good question, too. I had a conversation with um, someone the other day, and we were talking about just being interested in a lot of things yeah. and that being okay although yeah. talking about passion there is sometimes an assumption that you need to have just like a passion like one mm-hmm. like thing that you're like this is the thing and I'm going to go like all in on it and right. I can do that because I nothing else matters <laughs> yeah and it's so yeah. you don't feel that way either then <laughs> okay. no. but you see that's good to recognize yeah. that you're not alone because then sometimes, you know, I would even get myself into a guilt trip of saying, like, oh, well, if I want to be a dancer, then yeah. I should be dancing, and I should be training, and I should be auditioning, and I should be... Uh-huh. And then if I if I go do, I don't even know, anything. Like, if I go yeah. play, a, like, on a rec sports team for a little bit, or if yeah. I go, like, take a painting class, like, am I just... I'm not fully committing to this passion that I need to succeed at. Well, there's so many steps to a passion. Like, if I look at, okay, like, one of my dreams is to have my own dance company. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are, like, 2,000 steps that I need to take before I get there. And, like, yes, that's a dream. That's, like, a passion of mine that I want to pursue. But it's, like, to get there, I need to know about administrative skills. To get there, I need to know, like there's like a whole roundabout way that I have to go through before I get to that passion that I have to be like the idea of like one straight line is absurd because it's not our reality and that's half the stuff that people would say is exciting I mean going on that journey of like getting to that eventual goal and that's what life is all about you might get halfway there and be like hey this is really interesting I'm gonna go this way instead like that's kind of how I stumbled into film it was like hey I didn't know that was a possibility cool let's try it out yeah I never I didn't even know I was passionate about it until it like dropped down in front of me and I was like oh cool (laughs) let's try that out yeah when you accidentally run into something that's definitely it can be amazing and then those things also sometimes are only really great in reflection when you're like oh, this, I ended up doing this thing, which yeah. actually ended up being a kind of changing moment for me, but I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those things, personally for me, are very subtle, mm-hmm. and it's like they all they all played a little bit of a role, yeah. but they weren't those big aha moments, which I do hear people talking about in the arts, especially yeah. when they're in university. Yeah. Um, where they're like, oh, this thing happened, and then like everything makes sense. But at the same time, that's, like, glorifying, like, years of time into one conversation. Like, I feel like the reality of, like, and then this one big thing happened. It's like, no, that took, like, a span of three years. Like, all these other things happened. But it's also interesting, like, the way that we live and the way that we are in society. Like, we like to turn things into a script. Like, we like this idea of, like, a romantic movie this right. like, big punchline of a huge storyline and we start talking about our life like that and it's misleading mm-hmm. because that's not real you didn't just like wake up one day and that happened like yeah. it took time it took work it took a lot of like ups and downs it yeah. was brutal it and was I feel like, like that's one of those like telltale things I've heard about from different artists that yeah. you know that was the moment I realized this is what I had right. to do for the rest of my life. And right. I always feel like I haven't had a moment like that, which I'm like, man, am I an artist? <laughs> there are those, like, small little yeah. things, though, that can, like, seep into your mind and, you know, yeah. plant doubt or just plant those questions that 
I also don't think are negative. I think when yeah. you question it, you're going to learn more. Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean, time passing, it makes it easier to be able to say something like that. Right. Because you can condense, like, ten years into... One moment. This one moment. Yeah, it's, it's true. like, wait, no. I don't know. Like, why did you decide to go to university? Like, why did you decide to do, like, a dance major? Yeah. Honestly, I think I decided to do a dance major because I wanted to go to university and I don't think I could sit through four years of lectures. Yes. Being able to dance and do something that I'd like to do was a good way to get a university degree and and do something that I wanted to do. I originally wanted to be a kinesiologist and I found the university as far away from my home as possible that offered, and I like really liked dancing, that offered both those programs and went to that school. So were you originally a double major, or were you going to be like uh, a convert double yeah, major in second year? Yeah, I was convert, and then I never converted. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I took my first anatomy course, and it just didn't work out. Right. Well, uh, tangent, a yeah. girl that I went to school with double majored in dance and kinesiology, super like, you yeah. know whatever great all-around student yeah graduated uh same year as me now she's going to become a family lawyer oh wow yeah Crazy. and I just love that story because it just makes me just shove it in the face of people who are yeah. like what are you gonna do with a dance degree I'm like yeah anything I feel like I want. going to university just teaches you how you learn and that's mm-hmm. like that's the most important lesson that I think I got out of school was like I really understood how my how I consumed information right like I yeah yeah like found the out. facts of information yeah I just like I learned more about myself and and that being things. said I remember uh, really distinctly in fourth year I think I was ready to be done after like second year but I remember distinctly after fourth year feeling like I was ready and yeah. I didn't know ready I didn't for what though yeah but that was the thing like I didn't I knew I wasn't I knew that I didn't know what was going to happen next, Yeah. but I was ready for that. I was yeah. ready for not knowing what was going to happen, the fact that it was going to be hard, yeah. and dealing with those struggles, because I, I think I understood that I would never be fully prepared in school. There was nothing yeah. else I could have done to like better my chances of being successful <laughs> Like once I graduated. It was just like, no, it's going to be a struggle, but like yeah. I'm ready for that struggle. Like, Let me out. Let me yeah. deal with it. I didn't dance for like seven months after graduating. Mm-hmm. I just... I didn't dance, and I, like, remember just being really lost and confused, and I, like, decided that I needed to change that. Yeah. Like, ready for what? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Ready for whatever comes. Yeah, you just have to, I don't know. And that's the power of it, too, that you can make one of those, like, mental decisions based on how you feel yeah and you can change it all yeah that's really awesome though you got to work for a film company as a production assistant it was cool that's awesome yeah well I mean it was horrible but it was was cool (laughs) it was a great experience and like I still work for one of the one of the two production companies now and it's amazing it like it's sustainable work and I and I work on my own schedule so I'm really happy that's beautiful yeah being yeah, on someone else's schedule is definitely. It was hard. I think it I'd was, like to cross off my list really one day. Yeah, that's nine a goal. To, nine to midnight. Nine to midnight. It was, yeah, it's good. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. And I also found out like what skills I have and what skills I don't have in that job. And I was like, I'm the creative person. <laughs> Keep giving me the creative jobs because this schedule planning is not for me. Right. That's fair. Though, I mean, those skills are so useful. I use them now. But. Yeah, and those are the, also the people that you value so much later. Yeah. You're like, I can't do this. You can exactly. do this. Let's work together. <laughs> I value you. Please do this for me. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think we have to start <laughs> to wrap it up. So much. Keep talking to edit. I know. But that's okay. I always just have How to be like, wait. How long do you turn wait. them into? Um, it really depends. They yeah. varied from like 45 minutes to over an hour, okay. so. Not so bad. It's all good. But, um, to end, I always ask people for some recommendations mm-hmm. because I'm just looking for new stuff and influences. So, um, a book? Um, I Will Love You Forever 
by Robert Bunch. That's gold. <laughs> it's one of my favorite books, and it, it was written about um, a miscarriage that him and his partner had. But I didn't know that, really. Yeah, yeah it changes wow. it. But it's just something about being human and, yeah, just unconditional love. Kids' books are amazingly... <laughs> Like I just like amazing. Like I just think that they're probably the hardest thing to write yeah. because they're so poignant at one topic. Like they just get yeah. at the essence of something, yeah. but in like a very easily understood, beautiful, simplistic way. Yeah. I don't think I could write like fiction at all, but yeah, that'd be like an ultimate challenge for me. Yeah. Um, music of some variety is something you can listen to. Uh, anything, Tracy Chapman. Oh, do you have a a track of uh, album I that like you favor. Baby, can I hold you tonight? That's my favorite song of hers. But I don't know. All of her, all of her like top hits are pretty spectacular. Cool. Did she come out with something recently? I don't think so. No, I, I it's have. All really old. Definitely, yeah. My mom has a couple albums, yeah. like CD ROMs, CD compact discs <laughs> that I've <laughs> that I would listen to, but. Always good to see if they're still kicking and what they got going. Yeah. And then the last thing is just another thing for you to recommend. I would say uh, instead of watching Netflix, watch TEDx Talks. And do you have a TEDx to recommend? I just watch them. I mostly, when I'm doing research for a project, I like to listen to the various conversations that are being talked about and like the one that is most relevant right now there's really interesting um, talks on privilege I don't I don't know the guy's name so do you because they have a website right yeah, you just like website. google privilege yeah. and then you watch it yeah TEDx talk on privilege mm. it's just interesting but I mean like I do I watch so many many talks when I'm researching a new work I just think it's an interesting like high quality opinion yeah and you get a good range like yeah. you get people like coming at one issue from a different a bunch of different perspectives yeah and they are is TEDx I'm not exactly sure how the brand works because I know you could host TED Talks all over yeah but TEDx is like a specific series or is it a specific location I think it's I don't actually know I think it's a specific location okay. but I know it's like a curatorial thing as well. Yeah, they probably have some kind of quality control. Yeah, I'm sure. It's friggin' <laughs> I don't TEDx. Know. I don't, but I don't know how it works. That's okay. As long as they keep bringing great content. One of my roommates always sends me TEDx yeah. talks too, and I'm like, yeah, it's a good thing to pass around. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, can you plug your next show coming up at the yeah. Fringe Festival? So this summer, the Toronto Fringe is running from... June 29th to July 10th, and I am presenting two new works. The show is going to be called The R Word, and there will be a double bill with Ranked, which is a duet, and re, sorry, Relapse, which is a duet, and Ranked, which is a sextet. Six dancers. So it's right. Fun. That's cool. Yeah. And I you're. Won the <laughs> yeah, because that's how Fringe is done. Yeah. For how it's done in Toronto, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Awesome. Okay, cool. So that's the summer, and we'll all go to see that. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of wish it was summer right now, but I, know. I guess we'll live through it. I spent the last week in British Columbia, and it was Oh, did you? And I was walking around in sweaters. It was delightful. And then I came back, and it was like the coldest day of the year. It was like minus, minus 20, 20, and I was yeah. like, I want to die. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And we're going to listen to some Tracy Chaplin to play us out. So, yes. Get ready for that. Yeah. Okay, cool.
You'll be mine 